0: Podcast, and this is your host, Baraket Kalili. Uh, we're now going into the, our, what is it, our third episode now in, into the series. And I wanted to just pause and briefly uh, say that uh, thanks to all of you who are checking out the podcast. And uh, I wanted to encourage you, if you think that uh, this would be something that uh, other people you know would enjoy, take a moment to leave a rating and review and tell the world how much you enjoy it, especially uh, those of you guys who are coming to us from Apple Podcasts, give those algorithms a reason to spread this uh, around. So uh, again, uh, thanks for again for uh, hanging with me uh, this far and let's uh, jump into it. So we're gonna start off looking at the state of Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut also raised several military units uh, made up entirely of black recruits. And it looks like from the records that there were over 400 uh, black men who served in various units representing the state uh, into the Continental Army, uh, based on the records that we have. Uh, Nell opened up this section by pointing out that there was some reluctance uh, among white officers to uh, lead these units. Um, And in one unit in particular, uh, there was a David, excuse me, a Captain David Humphreys, who was... uh, related to Washington's family. And when there was some reluctance, uh, among the officers, uh, to lead this course of black soldiers, he volunteered, uh, to help out and, and to lead one of these units and that uh, apparently inspired other officers to feel comfortable doing that. So, uh, so there, that kind of tells a little bit about, um, the, the environment in which, uh, these men served. Uh, during the, during the war, he then moves into uh, the story of the massacre of Groton Heights. Uh, this is the main story in this part of the book, and uh, and, and it concerns a battle uh, that led to a very tragic defeat uh, for the Americans defending Fort Griswold. Uh, Nell received a letter from a man named Parker Pillsbury regarding two of the men whose names were included in a monument monument that honored their sacrifice, but. It's in the most kind of backhanded way. And Nell writes The names of the two brave men of color who fell with Ledyard, that's Colonel Ledyard who led the unit, at the storming of Fort Griswold were Lambeau Latham and Jordan Freeman. All the names of the slain at that time are inscribed on a marble tablet wrought into the monument. The names of the colored soldiers last, and not only last, but a blank space is left between them and the whites. The white soldiers, that is, in genuine keeping with the quote unquote Negro Pew distinction, setting them not only below all others, but by themselves even after that. And it is difficult to say why. They were not last in the fight when Major Montgomery, one of the leaders in the expedition against the Americans, was lifted upon the walls of the fort by his soldiers, flourishing his sword and calling on them to follow him. Jordan Freeman received him on the point of a pike and pinned him dead to the earth and the name of jordan friedman stands way down last on the list of heroes perhaps the greatest hero of them all Uh, at an event in 1853 when uh, the town commemorated the 72nd anniversary of the battle uh, there was a guest speaker named robert winthrop whose family was prominent in the area and the lack of a mention in his speech about these two black soldiers prompted a man named William Anderson to share a story that he had heard from two veterans who were there that day when the the fort was lost. He writes, quote, September 6th, 1781, New London was taken by the British under the command of that traitor Arnold, Benedict Arnold, that is. The small band composing the garrison retreated to the fort opposite in the town of Groton and there resolved either to gain a victory or die for their country. The latter pledge was faithfully redeemed and by none more gallantly than the two colored men. And if the survivors of that day's carnage tell truly, they fought like tigers and were butchered after the gates were burst open. One of these men was a brother of my grandmother by the name of Lambert, but called Lambo, since chiseled on the marble monument by the American classic appellation of Sambo. The name of the other was Jordan Freeman, The assault on the part of the British was a deadly one, and manfully resisted by the Americans, even to the clubbing of their muskets after their ammunition was expended. But finally the little garrison was overcome, and on the entrance of the enemy the British officer inquired, Who commands this fort? The gallant Ledyard replied, I once did, you do now. At the same time handing his sword, which was immediately run through his body to the hilt by the officer. This was the commencement of an unparalleled slaughter. Lambert, being near Colonel Ledyard when he was slain, retaliated upon the officer by thrusting his bayonet through his body. Lambert, in return, received from the enemy 33 bayonet wounds and thus fell, nobly avenging the death of his commander. So the Redcoats uh, that began uh, then began to kill over 100 Americans uh, in this fort here, and it was known as one of the worst massacres of the Revolution. Uh, It was even said that the Marquis de Lafayette shouted, remember Fort Griswold as he urged his men to storm the British encampment at your town uh, just a few weeks later, about six weeks later, actually. Next, we're going to jump over to the state of New York. But before we do that, let's pause for an obscene profit timeout. Okay, so just a brief word about our sponsor, Anchor.fm. This is an easy endorsement for me to do uh, because I've already seen the value in it. It's the reason why you're even listening to this podcast. Uh, And particularly for those of you who have ever thought about uh, doing a podcast, uh, you should really uh, check these guys out. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And there's several benefits uh, to it. One, it's free. So, hello. Uh, Two, there's creation tools that they uh, supply you with that record and edit your podcast right from your phone to computer. So, once you're on the platform or on the site, you can, you can do it there. You don't have to have you know expensive software and learn how to uh, do complicated editing. Uh, Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. Uh, you can also make money from the podcast uh, without uh, minimum listenership, so that's another plus. Uh, also, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It's all in one place. You don't have to download multiple programs it's all just in one website log in boom everything is there ready to go it's just totally easy really check them out i'm glad i came across this i'm glad i got a recommendation from a friend of mine who does her own podcast uh, because it's just so beneficial so again download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started Now we come to the state of New York and here Nell kind of takes a little bit of a different approach uh, while he spends less time talking about, um, particular soldiers and units and action, uh, in the war, he spends a little more time talking about what the state has done and the kinds of challenges uh, that it put in the way of, uh, as black residents there. And it speaks to the reason why he wrote this book and uh, you'll see in the arguments that uh, that uh, he addresses here that it it really kind of speaks to the contributions that uh, black people made to the war and why that's important to record that and to remember that in particular the implications of that after the war is over and the united states is established and what kind of place that they then deserve as equal citizens who can you know enjoy the full benefits of that and the responsibilities so you may be surprised to learn that uh, new york was actually a slave state uh in the, uh, leading through the uh the 18th century and even through the 19th century the middle of the 19th century uh, and it had more slaves than uh, most of the other northern states they were mainly concentrated on long island and especially uh, around brooklyn now begins this section of the book by talking about a story uh, of what is known as the Negro plot and it regards this uh, hysteria that was induced in the city of New York where people believed that black slaves had uh, uh, conspired together to try to burn the city down there was a fire and uh, kind of like like, I guess, uh, Nero in Rome blaming the, the, the fire on the Christians, uh, the, the fire was blamed on uh, black slaves. And uh, a mob uh, kind of was put together, and uh, for some reason people be, uh, began to accuse them of it and uh, put them on, on trial. They were prosecuted uh, with very little evidence, and the prosecution itself was uh, quite clumsy and, and changing its rationale. Uh, for for bringing the indictments and, uh, and uh, amazingly enough the uh, group of black men were actually burned al- alive at the stake and this happened in the early 18th century around the 1740s it's not really clear why Nell included the story but it seems like he's putting it in in there to kind of uh, provide some background and to kind of frame the context of of talking about the the new york's uh constitutional convention in 1821 and the reason why it's i think it's important uh, i think it kind of makes sense as we learn about what had happened at the convention coming in, uh, to 1821 uh the, the state held a convention which a disenfranchisement of black voters was explicitly written into the law where they removed the property requirement for uh, white uh, eligible voting ma- uh, voting age males but they didn't remove that uh, requirement for black residents not only did they not remove the requirement for blacks they actually increased it from a hundred dollars to 250 dollars so for black residents uh, in the state a man needed an estate that was worth at least 250 dollars before he could vote one of the arguments for doing this was that blacks didn't contribute. They didn't pay taxes. And since they weren't carrying the responsibility of citizenship, then they don't deserve to enjoy the privileges that come with it. This is where nail recounts a story uh, of the debate on the convention floor, where he quotes from a speech, uh, given by a delegate named Dr. Clark. Uh, when he was speaking about uh, this provision and and about the quote-unquote colored inhabitants of the state when he said my honorable colleague has told us that as a colored people are not required to contribute to the protection or defense of the state they're not entitled to an equal participation in the privileges of its citizens but sir whose fault is this have they ever refused to do military duty when called upon it is haughtily asked who will stand in the ranks shoulder to shoulder with a negro i answer no one in time of peace no one when your musters and trainings are looked upon as mere pastimes no one when your militia will shoulder muskets and march to their trainings with as much unconcern as they would go to a sumptuous entertainment or a splendid ball but sir when the hour of danger approaches your "quote-unquote" white militia are just as willing that the man of color should be set up as a mark to be shot at by the enemy as to be set up themselves. In the war of the revolution, these people helped to fight your battles by land and by sea. Some of your states were glad to turn out corps of colored men and to stand quote shoulder to shoulder" with them. In your late war, they contributed largely toward some of your most splendid victories on Lake on Lakes Erie and Champlain where your fleets triumphed over a foe superior numbers and engines of death they were manned in a large proportion with men of color and in this very house in the fall of 1814 a bill passed receiving the probation of all the branches of your government authorizing the governor to accept the services of a corps of two thousand free people of color sir these were times which tried men's souls in these times it was no sporting matter to bear arms these were times when a man who shouldered his musket did not know, but he bared his bosom to receive a death wound from the enemy. Eerie he laid it aside, and in these times these people were found as ready and as willing to volunteer in your service as any other. They were not compelled to go. They were not drafted. No, your pride had placed them beyond your compulsory power, but they but there was no necessity for its exercise. They were volunteers. Yes, sir volunteers to defend that very country from the inroads and ravages of a ruthless and vindictive foe which had treated them with insult degradation and slavery Uh, Nell then also quotes Henry Garnett from his speech to an anniversary event at the American anti-slavery society in New York in 1840 It is with pride said he that I remember that in the earliest attempts to establish democracy in this hemisphere Colored men stood by the side of your fathers and shared with them the tolls of the revolution. When freedom that had been chased over half the world at last thought she had here found a shelter and held out her hands for protection, the tearful eye of the colored man in many instances gazed with pity upon her tattered garments and ran to her relief. Many fell in her defense, and the grateful soil received them with affectionately into its bosom. No monumental piles distinguished their dreamless beds scarcely an inch on the page of history has been appropriated to their memory yet truth will give them a share of the fame that was reaped upon the fields of lexington and bunker hill truth will affirm that they participated in the immortal honor that adorned the brow of the illustrious washington unquote so nell is quoting from these speeches and you can kind of see the rebuttal that he's making and he's you can also see the 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 reason the stakes that are involved in him writing this book and preserving this history because uh, even in the decades just after the Revolutionary War uh, the character of black people already being impugned their uh, contributions their service is already being forgotten or ignored um, or it's just people are just ignorant and without that knowledge it just makes it easier uh, for people to uh, make the arguments that disenfranchise uh, black citizens and, and slaves as well and so the importance then of Nell's book and addressing this is that you know he's he's pointing out that no uh, black people were there at the beginning helping to fight for liberty fight for the independence of this country and to make it possible to enjoy the freedoms that we have therefore they enjoy they have a right to enjoy all the privileges of citizenship as well as all of uh, its responsibilities. Uh, therefore, they're entitled to equal rights. Therefore, they are entitled to the same dignity that anybody else uh, is entitled to. And so uh, we see how important it is that there is a record of this, of, of their service and their contributions. And so, and I think that's still just as relevant, obviously, today. Uh, there's a long history of contributions that black people have made in not only in uh, the military but in all aspects of society and it kind of goes to Nell's view and his uh, what we know about his uh, beliefs about integration and how um, how that will help uh, achieve racial harmony he was a big uh, integrationist Uh, didn't even like the segregation that he saw among abolitionist groups that were divided between uh, those made up of primarily black people and those made up primarily of white people. He was one who did not want to have separate but equal, but wanted to integrate all aspects of society and allow uh, black people to participate in the mainstream just as much as anyone else. Feeling good